0: Hello, and welcome to a summer of excerpts from Harper Audio Presents, where we're letting the author's books do the talking, literally. Today's excerpt is from the book Sapiens. A hundred thousand years ago, at least six human species inhabited the Earth. Today, there is just one us, Homo sapiens. How did our species succeed in the battle for dominance? Why did our foraging ancestors come together to create cities and kingdoms? How did we come to believe in gods, nations, and human rights, to trust money, books, and laws, and to be enslaved by bureaucracy, timetables, and consumerism? And what will our world be like in the future? In Sapiens, Dr. Yuval Noah Harari spans the world of human history from the very first humans to walk the earth to the radical and sometimes devastating breakthroughs of the cognitive, agricultural, and scientific revolutions. Drawing on insights from biology, anthropology, paleontology, and economics, he explores how the currents of history have shaped our human societies, the animals and plants around us, and even our personalities. Have we become happier as history has unfolded? Can we ever free our behavior from the heritage of our ancestors? And what, if anything, can we do to influence the course of centuries to come? Bold, wide-ranging, and provocative, Sapiens challenges everything we thought we knew about being human, our thoughts, our actions, our power, and our future.
1: Sapiens, a brief history of humankind, by Yuval Noah Harari. Narrated by Derek Perkins. Part one, the cognitive revolution. One, an animal of no significance. About 13.5 billion years ago, matter, energy, time and space came into being in what is known as the big bang. The story of these fundamental features of our universe is called physics. About 300,000 years after their appearance matter and energy started to coalesce into complex structures called atoms, which then combined into molecules. The story of atoms, molecules and their interactions is called chemistry. About 3.8 billion years ago, on a planet called Earth, certain molecules combined to form particularly large and intricate structures called organisms. The story of organisms is called biology. About 70,000 years ago, organisms belonging to the species Homo sapiens started to form even more elaborate structures called cultures. The subsequent development of these human cultures is called history. Three important revolutions shaped the course of history. The cognitive revolution kick-started history about 70,000 years ago, The Agricultural Revolution sped it up about 12,000 years ago. The Scientific Revolution, which got underway only 500 years ago, may well end history and start something completely different. This book tells the story of how these three revolutions have affected humans and their fellow organisms. There were humans long before there was history. Animals much like modern humans first appeared about 2.5 million years ago. But for countless generations, they did not stand out from the myriad other organisms with which they shared their habitats. On a hike in East Africa two million years ago, you might well have encountered a familiar cast of human characters, anxious mothers cuddling their babies, and clutches of carefree children playing in the mud, temperamental youths chafing against the dictates of society, and weary elders who just wanted to be left in peace, chest-thumping machos trying to impress the local beauty, and wise old matriarchs who had already seen it all. These archaic humans loved, played, formed close relationships, and competed for status and power, but so did chimpanzees, baboons, and elephants. There was nothing special about humans. Nobody— least of all humans themselves, had any inkling that their descendants would one day walk on the moon, split the atom, fathom the genetic code, and write history books. The most important thing to know about prehistoric humans is that they were insignificant animals with no more impact on their environment than gorillas, fireflies, or jellyfish. Biologists classify organisms into species, Animals are said to belong to the same species if they tend to mate with each other, giving birth to fertile offspring. Horses and donkeys have a recent common ancestor and share many physical traits, but they show little sexual interest in one another. They will mate if induced to do so, but their offspring, called mules, are sterile. Mutations in donkey DNA can therefore never cross over to horses or vice versa. The two types of animals are consequently considered two distinct species, moving along separate evolutionary paths. By contrast, a bulldog and a spaniel may look very different, but they are members of the same species, sharing the same DNA pool. They will happily mate, and their puppies will grow up to pair off with other dogs and produce more puppies. Species that evolved from a common ancestor are bunched together under the heading genus, plural genera. Lions, tigers, leopards, and jaguars are different species within the genus panthera. Biologists label organisms with a two-part Latin name, genus, followed by species. Lions, for example, are called panthera leo, the species leo of the genus panthera. Presumably everyone listening to this book is a Homo sapiens, the species sapiens, wise, of the genus Homo, man. Genera in their turn are grouped into families, such as the cats, lions, cheetahs, house cats, the dogs, wolves, foxes, jackals, and the elephants, elephants, mammoths, mastodons. All members of a family trace their lineage back to a founding matriarch or patriarch. All cats, for example, from the smallest house kitten to the most ferocious lion, share a common feline ancestor who lived about twenty-five million years ago. Homo sapiens, too, belongs to a family. This banal fact used to be one of history's most closely guarded secrets. Homo sapiens long preferred to view itself as set apart from animals, an orphan bereft of family, lacking siblings or cousins, and, most importantly, without parents. But that's just not the case. Like it or not, We are members of a large and particularly noisy family called the Great Apes. Our closest living relatives include chimpanzees, gorillas, and orangutans. The chimpanzees are the closest. Just six million years ago, a single female ape had two daughters. One became the ancestor of all chimpanzees. The other is our own grandmother. Skeletons in the Closet Homo sapiens has kept hidden an even more disturbing secret. Not only do we possess an abundance of uncivilized cousins, once upon a time we had quite a few brothers and sisters as well. We are used to thinking about ourselves as the only humans, because for the last ten thousand years our species has indeed been the only human species around. Yet the real meaning of the word human is an animal belonging to the genus Homo, And there used to be many other species of this genus besides Homo sapiens. Moreover, as we shall see in the last chapter of the book, in the not-so-distant future we might again have to contend with non-sapiens humans. To clarify this point, I will often use the term sapiens to denote members of the species Homo sapiens while reserving the term human to refer to all extant members of the genus Homo. Humans first evolved in East Africa about 2.5 million years ago from an earlier genus of apes called Australopithecus, which means southern ape. About two million years ago, some of these archaic men and women left their homeland to journey through and settle vast areas of North Africa, Europe, and Asia. Since survival in the snowy forests of northern Europe required different traits than those needed to stay alive in Indonesia's steaming jungles, human populations evolved in different directions. The result was several distinct species, to each of which scientists have assigned a pompous Latin name. Humans in Europe and Western Asia evolved into Homo neanderthalensis, man from the Neander Valley, popularly referred to simply as Neanderthals. Neanderthals, bulkier and more muscular than us sapiens, were well adapted to the cold climate of Ice Age western Eurasia. The more eastern regions of Asia were populated by Homo erectus, upright man, who survived there for close to two million years, making it the most durable human species ever. This record is unlikely to be broken even by our own species. It is doubtful whether Homo sapiens will still be around a thousand years from now, so two million years is really out of our league. On the island of Java in Indonesia lived Homo soloensis, man from the Solo Valley, who was suited to life in the tropics. On another Indonesian island, the small island of Flores, archaic humans underwent a process of dwarfing. Humans first reached Flores when the sea level was exceptionally low and the island was easily accessible from the mainland. When the seas rose again, some people were trapped on the island, which was poor in resources. Big people, who need a lot of food, died first. Smaller fellows survived much better. Over the generations, the people of Flores became dwarves. This unique species, known by scientists as Homo floresiensis, reached a maximum height of only 3.5 feet and weighed no more than 55 pounds. They were nevertheless able to produce stone tools and even managed occasionally to hunt down some of the island's elephants, though, to be fair, the elephants were a dwarf species as well. In 2010, another lost sibling was rescued from oblivion when scientists excavating the Denisova cave in Siberia discovered a fossilized finger bone. Genetic analysis proved that the finger belonged to a previously unknown human species which was named Homo denisova. Who knows how many lost relatives of ours are waiting to be discovered in other caves, on other islands, and in other climes. While these humans were evolving in Europe and Asia, evolution in East Africa did not stop. The cradle of humanity continued to nurture numerous new species, such as Homo rudolfensis, man from Lake Rudolf, Homo Augusta, working man, and eventually our own species, which we've immodestly named Homo sapiens, wise man. The members of some of these species were massive, and others were dwarves. Some were fearsome hunters, and others meek plant-gatherers. Some lived only on a single island, while many roamed over continents. But all of them belonged to the genus Homo. They were all human beings." It's a common fallacy to envision these species as arranged in a straight line of descent, with Augusta begetting erectus, erectus begetting the Neanderthals, and the Neanderthals evolving into us. This linear model gives the mistaken impression that at any particular moment only one type of human inhabited the earth, and that all earlier species were merely older models of ourselves.' The truth is that from about two million years ago until around 10,000 years ago, the world was home at one and the same time to several human species. And why not? Today there are many species of foxes, bears, and pigs. The earth of a hundred millennia ago was walked by at least six different species of man. It's our current exclusivity, not that multispecies past, that is peculiar, and perhaps incriminating. As we will shortly see, we sapiens have good reasons to repress the memory of our siblings. The cost of thinking Despite their many differences, all human species share several defining characteristics. Most notably, humans have extraordinarily large brains compared to other animals. Mammals weighing 130 pounds have an average brain size of 12 cubic inches. The earliest men and women, 2.5 million years ago, had brains of about 36 cubic inches. Modern sapiens sport a brain averaging 73 to 85 cubic inches. Neanderthal brains were even bigger. That evolution should select for larger brains may seem to us like, well, a no-brainer. We are so enamored of our high intelligence that we assume that when it comes to cerebral power, more must be better. But if that were the case, the feline family would also have produced cats who could do calculus, and frogs would by now have launched their own space program. Why are giant brains so rare in the animal kingdom? The fact is that a jumbo brain is a jumbo drain on the body. It's not easy to carry around, especially when encased inside a massive skull. It's even harder to fuel. In Homo sapiens, the brain accounts for about 2-3% to of total body weight, but it consumes 25% of the body's energy when the body is at rest. By comparison, the brains of other apes require only 8% of rest-time energy. Archaic humans paid for their large brains in two ways. Firstly, they spend more time in search of food. Secondly, their muscles atrophied. Like a government diverting money from defense to education, humans diverted energy from biceps to neurons. It's hardly a foregone conclusion that this is a good strategy for survival on the savannah. A chimpanzee can't win an argument with the Homo sapiens, but the ape can rip the man apart like a rag doll. Today our big brains pay off nicely because we can produce cars and guns that enable us to move much faster than chimps and shoot them from a safe distance instead of wrestling. But cars and guns are a recent phenomenon. For more than two million years, human neural networks kept growing and growing, but apart from some flint knives and pointed sticks, humans had precious little to show for it. What then drove forward the evolution of the massive human brain during those two million years— frankly, we don't know. Another singular human trait is that we walk upright on two legs. Standing up, it's easier to scan the savannah for game or enemies, and arms that are unnecessary for locomotion are freed for other purposes, like throwing stones or signalling. The more things these hands could do, the more successful their owners were, So evolutionary pressure brought about an increasing concentration of nerves and finely tuned muscles in the palms and fingers. As a result, humans can perform very intricate tasks with their hands. In particular, they can produce and use sophisticated tools. The first evidence for tool production dates from about 2.5 million years ago, and the manufacture and use of tools are the criteria by which archaeologists recognize ancient humans. Yet walking upright has its downside. The skeleton of our primate ancestors developed for millions of years to support a creature that walked on all fours and had a relatively small head. Adjusting to an upright position was quite a challenge, especially when the scaffolding had to support an extra-large cranium. Humankind paid for its lofty vision and industrious hands, with backaches and stiff necks. Women paid extra. An upright gait required narrower hips, constricting the birth canal, and this just when babies' heads were getting bigger and bigger. Death in childbirth became a major hazard for human females. Women who gave birth earlier, when the infant's brain and head were still relatively small and supple, fed better and lived to have more children. Natural selection consequently favoured earlier births, and indeed, compared to other animals, humans are born prematurely, when many of their vital systems are still underdeveloped. A colt can trot shortly after birth, a kitten leaves its mother to forage on its own when it is just a few weeks old. Human babies are helpless, dependent for many years on their elders for sustenance, protection, and education." This fact has contributed greatly both to humankind's extraordinary social abilities and to its unique social problems. Lone mothers could hardly forage enough food for their offspring and themselves with needy children in tow. Raising children required constant help from other family members and neighbors. It takes a tribe to raise a human. Evolution thus favored those capable of forming strong social ties. In addition, since humans are born underdeveloped, they can be educated and socialized to a far greater extent than any other animal. Most mammals emerge from the womb like glazed earthenware emerging from a kiln. Any attempt at remoulding will only scratch or break them. Humans emerge from the womb like molten glass from a furnace. They can be spun, stretched, and shaped with a surprising degree of freedom." This is why today we can educate our children to become Christian or Buddhist, capitalist or socialist, warlike or peace-loving. We assume that a large brain, the use of tools, superior learning abilities, and complex social structures are huge advantages. It seems self-evident that these have made humankind the most powerful animal on earth. But humans enjoyed all of these advantages for a full two million years, during which they remained weak and marginal creatures. Thus, humans who lived a million years ago, despite their big brains and sharp stone tools, dwelt in constant fear of predators, rarely hunted large game, and subsisted mainly by gathering plants, scooping up insects, stalking small animals, and eating the carrion left behind by other, more powerful carnivores. One of the most common uses of early stone tools was to crack open bones in order to get to the marrow. Some researchers believe this was our original niche. Just as woodpeckers specialize in extracting insects from the trunks of trees, the first humans specialized in extracting marrow from bones. Why marrow? Well, suppose you observe a pride of lions take down and devour a giraffe. You wait patiently until they're done. But it's still not your turn, because first the hyenas and jackals and you don't dare interfere with them, scavenge the leftovers. Only then would you and your band dare approach the carcass, look cautiously left and right, and dig into the edible tissue that remained. This is a key to understanding our history and psychology. Genus Homo's position in the food chain was, until quite recently, solidly in the middle. For millions of years, humans hunted smaller creatures and gathered what they could, all the while being hunted by larger predators. It was only 400,000 years ago that several species of man began to hunt large game on a regular basis, and only in the last 100,000 years, with the rise of Homo sapiens, that man jumped to the top of the food chain. That spectacular leap from the middle to the top had enormous consequences. Other animals at the top of the pyramid, such as lions and sharks, evolved into that position very gradually over millions of years. This enabled the ecosystem to develop checks and balances that prevent lions and sharks from wreaking too much havoc. As lions became deadlier, so gazelles evolved to run faster, hyenas to cooperate better, and rhinoceroses to be more bad-tempered. In contrast, Humankind ascended to the top so quickly that the ecosystem was not given time to adjust. Moreover, humans themselves failed to adjust. Most top predators of the planet are majestic creatures. Millions of years of dominion have filled them with self-confidence. Sapiens, by contrast, is more like a Banana Republic dictator. Having so recently been one of the underdogs of the savannah, we are full of fear and anxieties over our position— which makes us doubly cruel and dangerous. Many historical calamities, from deadly wars to ecological catastrophes, have resulted from this over-hasty jump. A race of cooks A significant step on the way to the top was the domestication of fire. Some human species may have made occasional use of fire as early as 800,000 years ago. By about 300,000 years ago, Homo erectus, Neanderthals, and the forefathers of Homo sapiens were using fire on a daily basis. Humans now had a dependable source of light and warmth and a deadly weapon against prowling lions. Not long afterwards, humans may even have started deliberately to torch their neighborhoods. A carefully managed fire could turn impassable barren thickets into prime grasslands teeming with game. In addition, once the fire died down, Stone Age entrepreneurs could walk through the smoking remains and harvest charcoaled animals, nuts, and tubers. But the best thing fire did was cook. Foods that humans cannot digest in their natural forms, such as wheat, rice, and potatoes, became staples of our diet thanks to cooking. Fire not only changed food's chemistry, it changed its biology as well. Cooking killed germs and parasites that infested food. Humans also had a far easier time chewing and digesting old favorites, such as fruits, nuts, insects, and carrion, if they were cooked. Whereas chimpanzees spend five hours a day chewing raw food, a single hour suffices for people eating cooked food. The advent of cooking enabled humans to eat more kinds of food, to devote less time to eating, and to make do with smaller teeth and shorter intestines. Some scholars believe there is a direct link between the advent of cooking, the shortening of the human intestinal tract, and the growth of the human brain. Since long intestines and large brains are both massive energy consumers, it's hard to have both. By shortening the intestines and decreasing their energy consumption, Cooking inadvertently opened the way to the jumbo brains of Neanderthals and sapiens. Fire also opened the first significant gulf between man and the other animals. The power of almost all animals depends on their bodies, the strength of their muscles, the size of their teeth, the breadth of their wings. Though they may harness winds and currents, they are unable to control these natural forces and are always constrained by their physical design. Eagles, for example, identify thermal columns rising from the ground, spread their giant wings, and allow the hot air to lift them upwards. Yet eagles cannot control the location of the columns, and their maximum carrying capacity is strictly proportional to their wingspan. When humans domesticated fire, they gained control of an obedient and potentially limitless force. Unlike eagles, Humans could choose when and where to ignite a flame, and they were able to exploit fire for any number of tasks. Most importantly, the power of fire was not limited by the form, structure, or strength of the human body. A single woman with a flint or fired stick could burn down an entire forest in a matter of hours. The domestication of fire was a sign of things to come.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this thought provoking excerpt of Sapiens. If you'd like to hear or read more, you can purchase the audiobook, print book, or ebook. Be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents, leave us a message, tell your friends. Enjoy your summer.